Welcome to Revival from the Bible, the daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, the 19th of December, 2020. Not of this world. You have no doubt heard that phrase before. You've probably seen that phrase plastered on the back of a bumper or someone's window on their car or someone wearing a t-shirt or or something that kind of has that idea, not of this world. And, And talking about how that is true for us as Christians. But today I want us to look at where we see that phrase appear in the scriptures and particularly where we see it appear in the mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's going to take us to John chapter 18, verses 32 through 40. And here in this passage, Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate. Now, who was Pontius Pilate? He was kind of the Roman governor. Remember, at this time, Israel is under the control of the Roman Empire. And how they would set that up often was certain regions the Roman emperor, obviously his uh, Caesar, his headquarters was in Rome, but as they conquered various territories and ruled various various territories, lots of times a governor over a more specific region was a very important political figure. And Jesus had been dealing a lot with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had an incredible amount of religious authority in Israel. But when it came to political authority, Uh, That really fell to the Roman Empire, and in this case, in Israel at that time, it would have come down to this governor, Pontius Pilate. And now, Jesus is on trial before him, and Pilate begins by asking him a question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done, right? Pilate's like, hey, I don't have time for your silly games. Tell me what you've done. But Jesus, it's interesting, Pilate is the one who thinks he's in control. Jesus is the one who knows he's in control. And so in verse 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world, not from this world. And so then he gets into this discussion of, well, are you are you a king? And they get even to a discussion about the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And it comes to a tragic ending there as the crowd, instead of their king, Jesus, asking for him to be released, they cry out for Barabbas, a robber, or we even get the idea of an insurrectionist. Uh, that, that's who they ask to be released instead of Jesus. And so here we see Jesus saying, my kingdom is not from this world, not of this world. And he says, if my kingdom were of this world right now, I wouldn't be messing around with you. I'd be going into battle with my army. Uh, But that's why I'm not fighting. My kingdom is not of this world. But as we look at other places in our reading today, we're going to be reminded that that whole idea of uh, this Jesus's kingdom being not of this world, that is temporary. Right now, I think that's still something as Christians we would say, you know, We serve King Jesus right now. His kingdom is not of this world. That's one of the reasons why we are not seeking to advance the gospel by military conquest and force people into 
you know, accepting Christ or some form of Christianity. No, we preach the gospel, but this is a temporary thing because someday, as we've read now in Revelation, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And we start to see some glimpses of that. You know, obviously that's a heavy theme in the book of Revelation, where we look today at chapter 17, verses 7 through 18. Revelation 17, 7 through 18. And it continues with this picture of the the prostitute and, you know, Babylon, the great and the beast. And so there's a lot of imagery here. And there's a lot of debate about uh, what this imagery means. What are these seven heads and the seven mountains and the seven kings? And, And that's where, you know, there's a lot of debate about eschatology in general amongst Christians. This is where you can really get into even people with the same overall views might have different views about how all this shakes out. I mean, it talks about the seven kings in verse 10, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. You know, is that referring to different eras of human history? Is that referring to seven specific Roman emperors? And a lot of that might depend on where you're coming from with your theology and eschatology. I think, especially as we've recently read the book of Daniel and seen some of the connections it's made with the various empires and the visions that Daniel had, I think there's something to the thought that these five kings that were refer to uh, ancient empires that basically ruled the known world. And very, very possible that the one that is at this time is talking about the Roman empire. And the one to come is going to talk about this brief kingdom that the antichrist has, but we could really, you know, get into all this imagery that there's no shortage of views that we could discuss here. But what we want to bring it back to, it comes to the world rebelling against Christ. And in verse 14, it says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful, right? And that's one of the general themes that we see then in the book of Revelation, Jesus wins. And however we're interpreting some of these, you know, particular things, that's the overall message. Jesus is coming back and he is going to win and he is going to reign. His kingdom will be on this earth and he will conquer and he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we see a little bit more even about the future and what our hope is and what we believe we will see happen in the future as we read the book of Micah. We get into another one of these uh, prophets referred to as the minor prophets, not because they're not important, but because these books are not as long as Isaiah and Jeremiah. And here we see him and we see him talking about uh, Samaria. We see him talking about Judah. So it looks like both of those kingdoms are still there, the northern and the southern kingdom. And he rebukes them for their sin. He talks about judgment that is coming. He talks about people that are oppressive. Um, and we see clearly there were people who were just using and abusing other people for their own benefit, their own financial gain. The rulers and the prophets were not doing what they were supposed to do. They were prophesying uh, peace, um, you know, and not speaking the truth. But then in chapter four, we get a glimpse of something different. 
It says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his ways. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many nations and shall decide for stronger nations far away. And this is a a famous part of this verse. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But, They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Even that, you see phrases like that, even some biblical imagery, even, you know, on the walls at places like the United Nations, right? Or even George Washington, this whole idea of every man shall sit under his own vine and fig tree, that imagery of peace and prosperity. That was a a favorite phrase of his from the Bible. Um, but we have to acknowledge as Christians, ultimately, the United States is not going to usher in that kingdom for all time. The United Nations certainly isn't going to do it. These are things that will ultimately be fulfilled when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And, and so, That puts us kind of in this interesting time where we know what's coming, we know what Christ has done, but we're still in this time where we would say his kingdom is not of this world. And so that's a helpful principle and hopefully can guard us against a couple of extremes, right? It should guard us from the extreme of trying to make his kingdom of this world. And obviously the the most extreme form of that would be for us to be going on a, a conquest and trying to conquer lands for Christ with the power of the sword. That's clearly not what Christ has called to in this time. I think it's a helpful reminder not to set our hope even on anything temporary, um, knowing that We're not going to reform the world just through policies or things like that. But on the other extreme, I don't think that that means Christians, okay, his kingdom is not of this world, that we should withdraw completely from this world, that we should go be hermits and monks and just withdraw from the world and let the world perish, right? No, God has called us to be lights in the world. God has called us to be salt. Uh, We are the salt of the earth. Uh, There's a preservative that feel there. And uh, that's where there's not always clear instructions on how we respond to everything that's going on in this world. As we respond and live in this time where God's kingdom is not of this world, but God has called me to be salt, to be light. So what shall, what, what do we do? Well, that's where I think it's good for us to be reminded of a few things today as we remember, okay, Christ, his kingdom is not of this world, but he is coming back. It will be of this world. What do I do in the meantime? And that's where I think it's good for us to remember, well, what has the New Testament, what has the scriptures, all of the scriptures, the Old Testament as well, instructed us to do? And that's where I think the best thing, we have to start with what is clear, and that is what our king has called us to. And we're going to see that even even what we see in the book of Micah, right? That these people were not living as God had told them to live. They were not being generous to others. They were being selfish. They were being immoral. Um, they were doing all kinds of, of sinful things. So that's where it needs to start with us. Hey, no, I am going to live to honor 
King Jesus. Uh, I'm going to live to honor King Jesus in my life, in my in my family, in my business, in all these things. I'm going to look at what scripture has called me to do and I am going to follow King Jesus no matter what else whatever else anybody else tells me to do. And I think also God has given us instructions on what he wants us to do about his kingdom right now. Clear instructions, right? Even we we consider the disciples in Acts chapter one, when they say, okay, Jesus, you've risen. Now are you going to restore the kingdom? And he basically says, no, and I'm not going to tell you when, but in the meantime, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we think of the great commission, go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And all of that is based on the authority of the king. And so as we try to navigate this world where God's kingdom, the kingdom of Christ is not of this world, but we know he's coming back and it will be, we want to make sure our the most of our focus is on, hey, I'm going to honor King Jesus with my life and I'm going to seek to do my part in fulfilling that great commission and making disciples. That's where it needs to start. And whatever, if we're not doing those things, uh, whatever other decisions we're making about how to live life in this world is going to end up being flawed if we're not doing those most important things first. And finally, it should be something that encourages us as Christians to look forward. There is no way that we are going to be able to live in this world without frustration. It is still a fallen world. And so we are going to see frustrating, concerning things in this world. And we want to counter those things with the gospel. We want to counter those things by being responsible and faithful and salt and light. But also we want to encourage our own hearts with the thought that Jesus is coming back. He is coming soon. He will right every wrong. All the suffering I see on this world is temporary. Jesus is coming back and he is coming back soon. So I think that should give us some encouragement today as well. Finally, we continue on in Psalm 145, 8 through 14. And Again, we're seeing how great the Lord is. Talks about in verses eight and nine, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And even all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. As we seek to serve this kingdom now in this not of this world phase, may we be faithful. And part of that is God has given us the responsibility to make known to our children, to make known to the world how great this God is. And we want to keep doing that and be faithful to do that until Jesus does return and sets up his kingdom right here on this earth. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.